how Atlanta's Public Safety Center became a national controversy. The Public Safety Training Center will be a vital piece of infrastructure that will serve the training needs of our fire and police departments and be a true community asset to our residents. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. Your other host, Patricia Murphy, is off on a well-deserved vacation. If you're just listening to us for the first time, welcome. We invite you to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review and share Politically Georgia with a friend. Coming up on today's episode, we're going to have an in-depth exploration of the debate over the city of Atlanta's proposed public safety complex. We're joined today by Tyler Estep, the lead reporter covering the Public Safety Center and also the author of the AM Daily Newsletter. Tyler, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Tyler, welcome to the club of waking up very, very early for newsletters. Have you kind of adapted yet? Um, sort of. <laughs> it's been a week, what, a week and a half, a little more than that. You know, I have little kids, so I'm used to getting up early, but not quite uh, times with a four in front of them, which is <laughs> pretty extreme. So you're going the Patricia route by waking up very, very early rather than the Greg route, because I've been handling the jolt this week and my early is 6 a.m. Hers is 3 a.m. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I could do 3 a.m., but uh, yeah, I'm more like a 4.35 kind of situation. We can't wait to read your newsletter and to dive deeper into the Public Safety Center. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We're here with Tyler Estep, the AJC's. What is your beat now? I covered DeKalb County and the training center. Since it is in, the property is in DeKalb County, that's kind of fallen to me. So Tyler, you've been covering this this training center for years. Um, it hasn't quite been the national story has become when it first started, because this started under the administration of former Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. And while it faced some opposition, it wasn't the controversy it is today. Here's Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens on why he believes this training center is necessary. There'll be an emergency vehicle obstacle course for fire and police officers to do their driving training and academy housing for fire and police recruits, a fire department burn building, stables and pasture land to house our mounted patrol horses, a kennel and an indoor outdoor training center for our canine units and so much more. So Tyler, the current mayor, when he was a city council member, supported this as well as a, a slim majority of Atlanta council members um, who said that basically the, the facilities they had uh, previously were woefully inadequate. Yeah, the police, basically they rent 
space at Metropolitan State College for classroom uh, training and basically go elsewhere for more active type training, I guess you could call it. And then this would also include, obviously, fire training facilities. And they, um, the fire department has traditionally been in a old elementary school that I believe has since been condemned. So they are uh, desperately in need of, of training facilities as well. And the mayor and his allies often say that Atlanta has the most extensive training requirements in the Southeast. Our training includes vital areas like de-escalation training techniques, mental health, community-oriented policing, crisis intervention training, as well as civil rights history education. This training needs space, and that's exactly what this training center is going to offer. So Mayor Dickens comes into office with a number of challenges. First off, uh, to us at least, you know, when we were covering the transition, was restoring ties with the state. Um, there was a there was a city of Buckhead movement at the time, but also just even putting that aside, there was dangerously frayed relations between the city and the state under Keisha Lance Bottoms and, and Governor Kemp, who famously did not get along at all. They did not follow the mold of Governor Deal and, and Mayor Kasim Reed, who had this this fabled friendship. And so, his priority, maybe his top priority, was restoring those ties, but also in the background, the bubble of controversy over this training facility was starting to grow. Right. Yeah. So it after it passed city council in September 2021, I believe, um, you know, it kind of slowly there were there was 17 hours of public comment, I believe, um, at city council. So there was opposition from the get go. But, you know, a couple months later, folks start literally camping out on the on the property out there in the woods. And, um, you know, it's only kind of grown from there. There's been activity for a year and a half now, but obviously it has kind of taken off since January when a activist was was killed out there. So it uh, it certainly has been uh, a controversy that has been going on for a very yeah. long time. And that's an important point to note because back way back when in 2021 we covered the opposition extensively. You said 17 hours of public comment. There's also support for it. But a, a, a lot of the opposition, I, I feel like, stemmed from the, the protests for racial justice in 2020, mm-hmm. um, which helped sort of accelerate the opposition. Still a very local story, right? Oh, um, yeah. You know, yeah. It was covered by local media, but not didn't get much national t- attention. But it's also this kind of confluence of the liberal activists who are worried about the militarization of the police and, and some of them may support the defund the police movement. Others are just concerned um, with, uh, you know, with, with police training standards and also environmentalists who are worried about urban forest land being destroyed. Yeah. So long story short, the Atlanta owns about uh, I think roughly 300 acres that is actually right across city limits in DeKalb County and they want to build this facility on 85 of those acres. Um, and it's all, it's the site of a former prison farm but has since turned into a forest more or less. Um, so that, uh, I think the environmentalism combined with the anti-police or black lives, whatever you want to call it, the social justice movement, mm-hmm. it's the perfect confluence of, of a situation for uh, left-wing type activists. And I think the, you know, you mentioned police training standards and stuff. I, I think what has what has driven a lot of it is 
the inclusion of a quote unquote mock village in this facility um, that would basically train police to respond to situations. You know, there's literally like a mock, I think a bank or an apartment <laughs> building or something. Um, and that has, has really fueled kind of the, the opposition sort of fears about militarization and, and that kind of thing. So that's kind of, that's been their response to folks that say, well, don't you want better trained officers? And so soon groups of demonstrators of protesters started moving in to that area. Can you, you've been down there a number of times. Can you walk us through what it kind of looks like or looked like? Yeah. So it's, um, it's pretty wild. So the, the, the forest itself is, it is a forest, but it's not, you know, old growth by any means. A lot, it's kind of grown up since it was a prison farm 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's also been a dumping ground for, you know, tires and all kinds of stuff um, over the years. And uh, so at the height sort of uh, of the activists being down there, there was, you know, tents everywhere. They have what they call the living room, which is kind of their main or was. I'm not sure that it's still functioning as it was, but um, the main hangout down there, just tents everywhere and, and you know, big water jugs and graffiti on, on trails and, and stuff like that. So Tell us about who these protesters are, because you wrote a story a few months ago, uh, you and Chris Joyner did, about how this has also become sort of a rallying cry for the far left. Right. Yeah. So it's it kind of goes back to what the what we were talking about earlier with the kind of confluence of issues. I mean, you have literal, you know, anarchists out there. You have anti-police protesters. You have environmentalists. You have pretty much the full range of left-wing activism of any kind is, is, is folks out there. Our AJC colleague, Bill Torpy, a columnist, is, here's how he put it in a lead of a column just a few days ago. The latest roundup at the site of the proposed Atlanta Police Training Center continues a trend. Young, out-of-state white folks are getting arrested for allegedly committing mayhem in defense of people of color. Uh, Tyler, uh, that has been something of a trend where a lot of the folks who have been arrested, who have been charged with various crimes, don't come from the city of Atlanta or even the state of Georgia. Yeah, they, I mean, don't get me wrong. There obviously has been local support um, and continues to be and you know, sort of more mainstream groups are kind of offering their support every day. But sort of the, I don't know what you want to call it, sort of the more extreme folks, the folks that are actually living in the woods day to day tend to be from out of state. They tend to be sort of the I'm hesitant to use this phrase, but professional activist type folks um, that have been at other, some of them have been, were in, you know, uh, at the Dakota Pipeline or, you know, other large um, activist movements. So, yeah, it's it's definitely has, there is local support, but sort of the more extreme folks uh, that are, like I said, <laughs> living in the woods uh, uh, do tend to be from out of state. And since this is the Politically Georgia podcast, let's also talk about the political divide because it's really interesting to me. Um, Governor Kemp, Attorney General Chris Carr, Republican leadership is all, of course, supportive of this public safety training center. But so are mainstream Democrats. I mean, we didn't hear Stacey Abrams say a negative word about it, really. The top Democrats have condemned violence, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and 
But now we're starting to see at least some, there's certainly been some local opposition. Um, there's some clergy members who live in the city of Atlanta who are very against it. Of course, some neighbors who uh, are against it. They're worried about the noises it would make, the traffic it would bring, some of the not in my backyard situations. But now New Georgia Project, which got its start about a decade ago by Stacey Abrams, actually, as a voter registration and voter mobilization group, has now kind of morphed into... Uh, you know, a, a different sort of group that now fights for more aggressive student debt relief and, and other issues. But this is one of the issues that they're now amplifying. So we're not necessarily hearing rank and file Democrats and, and the state's top Democratic figures come out and oppose this training center, in part because Atlanta Mayor Andrew Dickens is one of the state's most prominent Democrats. Mm -hmm. He supports it. But we're, we are starting to see some left-leaning organizations based in Georgia who are taking up the cause. Yeah, just December, January. I mean, you you mentioned the New Georgia Project, which is actually very new for their outward expression of support. The ACLU has has decried some things. A Southern Center for Human Rights, and, and a few more kind of mainstream type left wing, well known, yeah, well known yeah. Uh, kind of mainstream type groups. And I think a lot of that has stemmed from number one, the shooting death of. Manuel Tehran, the activist that was killed after allegedly shooting first at state troopers in January at the site. And then also what they view as blanket domestic terrorism charges that have been filed against, I think, 40, 41 people since December. And I think that has kind of opened the door for more well-known sort of groups to weigh in on a legal basis. And let's talk about that shooting death of the activist who's also known as, let me make sure I get his name right, Tortuguita? Yeah, I believe so. And the ensuing protests that have that have boiled over because that, A, got a lot more national attention mm -hmm. and B, sparked new movements, new efforts, new protests in the city of Atlanta and beyond. We've seen protests in California. We've mm -hmm. seen, um, you know, sort of sympathetic protests in New York as well and, and elsewhere. Um, where does that investigation stand? As far as I'm aware, the GBI is still conducting its investigation into the shooting there. As a lot of us know, the GBI generally conducts investigations into in officer-involved shootings in the state. Um, they had suggested it, it could only be, I think they said, 60 to 90 days, about a month ago, maybe. Um, I'm ballparking it. but um, And they would, once they complete their initial investigation... They would turn that over to an independent prosecutor, which will be from the um, the prosecuting attorneys council of Georgia, um, because generally it would go to DeKalb County's DA. She has recused herself from dealing with that. And, and she recused herself. Why? Because the training center site is in DeKalb. A lot of the protesters are being prosecuted in part by the DeKalb County DA's office, as well as the Attorney General's office, who is kind of, um, I believe, will end up being the, the lead prosecutor on the case. But that's why Sherry Boston stepped down. And let's talk about where things stand right now, because we're taping this a few days after another wave of protests that turned caustic, I guess, is, the, is a decent way to put it. Tell us about what happened over the weekend. Yeah, so it was Sunday night. The activists, the Defend the Forest folks, um, had 
called for a week of action. For weeks, they had promoted this uh, to folks around the country on social media, where calling on folks to come to Atlanta, to come to the forest, and uh, protest against the training center. So Saturday night, they actually held a music festival and other activities in the forest, kind of adjacent to the actual training center site. There's a lot of forest over there. But Sunday, um, they... I guess there was another music festival type situation going on, but about two dozen of the activists, according to police, broke off from that group, changed into a bunch of black clothes, and went over to the actual training center site and started throwing Molotov cocktails, fireworks, uh, damaging equipment, um, that kind of stuff. And police moved in. You know, and you talk about dueling narratives. And, and that is a big part of, of covering this is there's two completely disparate narratives mm-hmm. out there. We all saw the video. There was a number of TV crews that had video of these black clad protesters throwing explosives into these vehicles, right? Into these government uh, and law enforcement, I guess, vehicles parked in this forest land. But at the same time, here's the press release that we got from the stop, what they call the Stop Cop City Atlanta group. And this is the lead. Last night, multiple police agencies dressed in militarized gear and armed with lethal weapons raided a local family-friendly music festival in a public park within the Wilani Forest. They used excessive force to arrest dozens of concert goers and threatened to shoot people in the park. So that in a nutshell shows you, mm-hmm. on one hand, we see video of you know a small group. I'm, I'm sure it was not close to the entire group that was there. I wasn't down there, but it seemed like just a handful of folks who had broken off did this. But on the other hand, the narrative that this group is pushing is that it was this peaceful event. Nothing was going on. There was just family friendly. It was families who were just trying to enjoy the forest and these cops kind of burst out of nowhere. It's an adventure to try to cover it from a journalistic standpoint. It's a challenge, right? Yeah, it's a huge challenge. And to be fair, previous arrests, even on domestic terrorism charges, those folks have not necessarily specifically been accused of the more violent actions that other members of the movement have allegedly perpetrated. I know that's a, a, a lot of words, but um, they a lot of the folks that have been charged with domestic terrorism they could have been sitting in a treehouse. I'm thinking of one specific mm-hmm. word. They, they're sitting in a treehouse, refuse to come down from the treehouse. You know, that's clearly trespassing or what, whatever you want to call it. But, but some of the activist issues is like, that person was charged with domestic terrorism, just like someone accused of setting a police car on fire or something so like that. So that's been, charges. they're facing similar charges yeah. and those charges, you know, they carry up to 35 years in prison. So I think that's been kind of a rallying in an odd way, um, a rallying cry for activists. I don't know that it is necessarily, I'm sure it's deterred some folks, um, but there were hundreds of people in the woods last weekend. So, And here's what Atlanta Police Chief Darren Shearbaum said after that latest round of protests. Actions such as this will not be tolerated. When you attack law enforcement officers, when you damage equipment, you are breaking the law. And this was a very violent attack that occurred this evening. Very violent attack. And this wasn't about a public safety training center. This was about anarchy. And this was about the attempt to destabilize. Okay, so Tyler, where do things stand now? Because what, what are we looking at over the next few weeks, months? 
that's the crazy thing uh, that I don't think a lot of people grasp is we're still in the incredibly early stages of any form of construction taking place on this project. The permits, the initial, very initial sort of land clearing and the permits that allow them to put like erosion control measures and stuff like that were approved a few weeks ago. They've actually been appealed to the DeKalb County Zoning Board of Appeals. I won't pretend to know what the DeKalb County Zoning Board of Appeals will think about that. But from there, I mean, they still have to get the green light to actually clear sections of the forest. They still have to get permits for actual, you know, vertical construction. I mean, it, this is, it's already been going on for a year and a half. And even best case scenario, you're looking at another year or two before the thing w- would be built. This is not going away anytime soon. <laughs> well, Tyler, thank you so much for joining us. We will continue to read all of your coverage, not just on this public safety center, but also your new AM newsletter. How, how can folks sign up for it? Yes, we now have a super fancy, easy way to find it. It is just ajc.com slash A-M-A-T-L. Uh, that's a lot of letters, but it's ajc.com slash A-M-A-T-L. And the fun part about this newsletter is, if, you know, you'll you'll be covering the big breaking news, but you also, you have a retrospective. You you look at AJC editions. I love looking at that, by the way, yeah. like 57 years ago, like what was on the front page during World War II. I love it. And also you'll, you'll break out features. It's not all hard news. Yeah. We're going to bring you the important stuff of the day, but also try to have a little fun, get your day off on the right foot. Maybe not necessarily with gloom and doom every day. So, uh, you know, check it out and, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Well, Tyler, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein. Your other host, Patricia Murphy, is taking a well-deserved vacation. We are two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. You can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts and get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. I'm here. I'm not solo. I'm here with producer Shaney B. Uh, and Shaney B, since we have so many questions from our listener mailbag, I think we should just dive right into that, don't you? That's one of my favorite segments of the show. So I say the more mailbag, the better. 
And a reminder, you also can add your voice to our discussion by calling to the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime. Leave us your question. We'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Shaney B. is standing by. What's our first question, Shaney? So our first question is based on a special edition that we did this week where we covered Crossover Day. And you and Patricia took listeners inside the hallways and inside the chambers of the state capitol. It was a really cool day. It was fun because we got to bring you around the capitol, and it was neat as folks were coming up to us, telling us about how they like to listen to the podcast. We were introducing the the unsung hero of the podcast, <laughs> Shaney B. <laughs> Well, it, and those people were fascinated because it was lobbyists, it was lawmakers, we talked to interns, and it was really cool to see people on such a frenzied day. You know, it's an important yeah. day, crossover day. We got a phone call from Audrey, and I think she sums it up great. Uh, my name is Audrey Haynes, and I'm a political science professor here at the University of Georgia. And I just wanted to give a shout out to um, Patricia and Greg. The crossover day coverage was great. Um, not only were the questions and interviews wonderful, but I have to say, I think that music was, was wonderful. It was just nice to hear uh, you guys talking about a day that's very important for all Georgia uh, voters and citizens. So I just wanted to call and give them an A+. Plus. Thanks. An A plus. An A plus for Professor Haynes. Uh, you're making us blush, Professor, and we'll return the favor. Her class at UGA I think is a must attend for any aspiring political journalist, political operative, political candidate. It is a, a joy to go and talk to students there. I've done it a number of times. Uh, so has Patricia. And frankly, so have a number of our top state politicians. I'll never forget the fact that one of the late speaker, David Ralston's last public appearances was before Professor Haynes's class at UGA just a few months ago. It is a, a wonderful class and the students who she helps develop are going to be the rising stars in Georgia politics in a few years from now. So it's great uh, to hear from her. Jenny B, what else we got? Now we got some questions about the 2024 election. Ooh. Here we go. So let's. Uh, we're going to start off with Carlton. Hi, sorry to make Shaney B and his interns work on the Saturday, but just wanted to give uh, everybody a call. My question was um, in relation to last November's election. Fast forwarding to the November 2024 election, we saw how Governor Kemp was able to perform well in the inner and outer suburbs of Atlanta, where Herschel Walker struggled. Um, as we look forward to the 2024 election, do you think that? Ron DeSantis or another Republican would be able to break through with those voters where we have seen that Donald Trump obviously struggled with him last time and those affiliated with him struggled in the November 22 election. Thank you, guys. Go dogs. Go Braves. <laughs> go dogs. Go Braves. Go Carlton. Great question. Um, you know, it's interesting because in 2016, Donald Trump didn't try to go win over those independent swing voters in Georgia. Frankly, you know, there wasn't much of a campaign in Georgia back, back then anyway. Um, neither he nor Hillary Clinton campaigned in Georgia during the general election um, once the primary nominations were set. Instead, Republicans focused on building what they called the Red Wall. They focused on turning out conservative voters 
in states and parts of the state like Northeast Georgia that are heavily, heavily conservative and, you know, almost kind of let the Democrats <laughs> do their thing in the suburbs. And they were still able to win back then in 2016. Donald Trump won by about five points in Georgia. 2018 changed the dynamic and showed that um, the, the changing suburbs could be just enough to make Democrats almost flip the governor's race and other statewide races with Stacey Abrams falling about one and a half points short. And of course, in 2020 and in 2022, we continue to see those swing voters, many of them from the suburbs, play a pivotal role. And so, Carlton, I think that the key for any Republican nominee, whether it be Trump, DeSantis, whoever, to compete in Georgia, they're going to have to, of course, maintain high voter energy and, and, and mobilization in the deep red parts of the state where a lot of folks who might be conservative might, might you know, drown out, tune out the election and not pay attention because we, we certainly see that. But also, they're going to have to find a way to message to those voters, those 200,000 or so swing voters who played the decisive factor in the 2022 runoff between Herschel Walker and Senator Raphael Warnock. Um, because, you know, they showed once again that there is a solid, not a huge block, but a solid and big enough block that could swing an election of voters who backed both Governor Brian Kemp and other Republicans in the November election, but withheld their support from Herschel Walker. And it was a game changer. Well, keeping on the 2024 theme, we got a call from a regular listener to Politically Georgia and a regular caller. This is Josh. We've seen the Republican presidential primary start to kick off with several major announced candidates, including former President Trump and several expected to announce soon. Um, we've also seen a much slower start to the Democrat primary with, for, with President Biden um, not yet officially announced and no other major challenger announced. What does this mean for Georgia in 2024 and Georgia's competitiveness? I think many people around the country see Georgia as a true purple 50-50 state. But if you really look at Republican statewide wins in 2022 um, compared to the unique losses of Herschel Walker and Donald Trump in 2020, um, I would argue that Georgia is a tilt red state that any Democrat would be, be hard pressed to win if the nominee is not Donald Trump in 2024. So what does it mean if it's a rematch of Trump Biden or if it's two totally new candidates? That is a great question, Josh. And I've even heard Democrats say it's a it's a red state with an undertone of blue, right? I don't know if purple's the right shade, but it might be crimson. I you know I don't know. Um, but going there, going a little further on that, look, look the twenty twenty four electorate's going to be completely different than the twenty twenty two electorate, right? Um, this was the most expensive midterm election in Georgia history, with Stacey Abrams raising more than hundred million dollars, and of course Senator Warnock and Herschel Walker and Brian Kemp raising hundreds of millions combined, but at the same time, you're going to have even higher turnout in a presidential election because it's a presidential election. And so we're not sure what the electorate will look like. We already know that Georgia is on pretty much every list of battleground states that both national Republicans and national Democrats are talking about. There's either four or six or sometimes even seven or eight, but either way, Georgia's right at the center of that political map, of that political strategy. So yeah, Georgia is going to continue to be a battleground. And look, yes, Brian Kemp and other Republicans running for constitutional offices easily defeated their Democratic opponents. But Senator Warnock's victory shows that there is that block of, of voters that are willing to go to swing in, uh, both Democrat and Republican elections and vote both ways. And, you know, if you're Joe Biden, you're going to go after those voters hardcore, especially if 
the Republican nominee is someone who's polarizing to a lot of independent voters like Donald Trump, like Ron DeSantis. Um, and we have no idea who the nominee will be right now. When it comes to how things are shaping up in Georgia, you know, we, we've seen polls that show that Donald Trump, his grip on those hardcore Republican voters is loosening. There's a number who have showed us in polls and also in anecdotal interviews and, and whatnot that they are very open to anyone but Trump. I did a survey not so long ago, an informal survey of dozens of party activists, leaders, elected officials, and very, very few of them said they wanted a third attempt for president by Donald Trump. They were they were open to Mike Pence. They were open to DeSantis. They were open to Nikki Haley. Um, but the jury was definitely still out on Donald Trump. That isn't to say they wouldn't support him, right? Uh, very few of them said that they would withhold their support for him if he is the nominee, but they are laying out the welcome mat for anyone but Trump is a good way to put it. On the Democratic side, Joe Biden hasn't formally announced his reelection, but activists and party leaders see it as all but a guarantee that he will. So there's very little drama and debate among Democratic circles in Georgia. And I did the same sort of poll, just talking with activists and elected officials and party leaders and others around the state on the Democratic side. And I couldn't find hardly any who said they were worried about Joe Biden not running. So there is definitely a willingness and an embrace of a, of a Joe Biden reelection campaign in a way that you didn't really see two years ago when there's a lot more, or at least a year and a half ago, where there's a lot more concern about his reelection chances. Greg, red state, blue state, purple. How about grandeur plum? Okay, I see that. I was wondering what you're looking at because I'm looking at your computer screen How from our about studio. Forward fuchsia. I'm looking at the Sherwin Williams color wheel. Oh, I was wondering what <laughs> you're looking trying at. Trying to figure out what color is Georgia these days. Should we say forward fuchsia? I like that. I like forward fuchsia. They should paint my living room forward fuchsia. I think I also have the title of your next book, so yeah. you're welcome for, in advance. Forward Fuchsia. Okay, I've got to get ready with my acknowledgments then. <laughs> All right, moving <laughs> forward, we got our last caller on this edition of Politically Georgia. We hear from Meg in Smyrna, and she is looking for more information about a story she read in the Sunday paper. I read an article in the 3-5 AJC about, called Landlords. And at the very end of the article, it mentioned that Governor Kemp is a landlord. So raised my curiosity, and I'm wondering what kind of landlord is he? Is he good, bad, okay? How many evictions on his properties? The conditions of his properties? You know, does he treat his tenants well? I would hope. Just looking to find out more about this because there was only a one sentence reference and no other information. So get to work guys. <laughs> get to work guys. I love it. Great question. Um, you know, we've been covering extensively the financial disclosures of every statewide candidate, including governor Brian Kemp. The governor lists about a dozen different business entities on his disclosure statement. Half of them are, are rental companies. They include two residential complexes in Athens, where he lives, where he grew up. Uh, they're near UGA. We will continue to monitor those holdings. But we also know, look, a lot of lawmakers, as that article pointed out, are landlords. And so they tend to support the status quo. They tend to not want to upend the way the landlord lease negotiations are drafted. So we'll continue to follow that for you, Meg. 
Okay, Shaney B, now it is time for one of our favorite segments of the week, Who's Up and Who's Down. My down for the week is going to be the Wealthstar Health System. Because after closing two hospitals in Metro Atlanta, the health system now has an uphill battle in regaining the trust of many elected officials in Georgia. Remember, they closed the Atlanta Medical Center, the sprawling hospital in near downtown Atlanta, right before the election, as they faced rising costs from a largely uninsured, uncompensated care. But at the same time, the hospital system is looking at expansions, including a potential expansion out in Augusta, in a suburb of Augusta that would serve a largely white community. Democrats are now calling for an inquiry on whether Wellstar Health System should keep its tax-exempt status, saying the hospital system is trying to open new facilities in more prosperous majority white counties while leaving black communities in the lurch. So we'll see where that goes, but it was not a great week for Wellstar Health System. Well, Shani B., my who's up for the week is the South Metro Development Outlook Conference, which was hosted by Michael Hightower and the collaborative firm he runs. It was great to go moderate a panel there with Phil Kent and Theron Johnson. It was amazing to meet so many elected officials, community leaders, and executives who are dedicated to bringing new development to South Metro Atlanta and tackling persistent challenges that those communities face. Uh, I, I really, really had a, had a blast at that forum. I, I get to go speak at a lot of cool different forums and events all over, all over the state. This one was special. Well, that is about all the time we have for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh, 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 oh,